I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and I'm joined by Sasan Danesh, the Managing Partner, and James Haskell, Business Operations Officer of eTrading Software. The significance of this conversation, eTrading Software has become the registration authority, the exclusive global registration authority for new digital token identifiers. Sasan, I'm going to begin with you. What's the significance of this announcement? Well, first of all, Robin, thank you very much for having me. Uh, this is a pretty important announcement for us as eTrading Software. We're a financial technology company focused on helping market stakeholders in more easily extending market infrastructures and leveraging the market infrastructures that exist. We're building a new type of market infrastructure here to service the digital asset user community. And the core philosophy here is to standardize the digital asset marketplace through an existing and consistent reference data set. So the key challenge that uh, we are being told by market participants is the difficulty of unifying the fragmented market structure that exists today with different trading of different digital assets occurring on different platforms and the inability to be able to aggregate that information today. So the ISO standard that we are working on and implementing will provide a unique mechanism across all the different trading venues and markets data providers, the aggregation of that data in a consistent manner using a single identifier. The analogy I would draw uh, would be with the ISIN, if you're familiar with that, which is and identifying the traditional capital markets for uniquely identifying a financial instrument. And ISO has created a similar type of standard. ISO is also an ISO standard. So the same subcommittee has created a new standard to address in the same manner, very simply, all digital tokens with a single unique identifier. Is this an example of the growing maturity of the market for digital assets? Very much so. And uh, it's just amazing how much of the explosion of the digital asset space uh, that has taken place over the last two years in particular has occurred in the absence of that kind of standardization. If anyone looks at where capital markets have grown hugely, one of the preconditions is the standardization, not just of, here we're talking reference data, but of processes, of technology. There's a maturity element here that if you do not have those standards, after a while you start to run out of the capability to carry on that explosive growth. And we're at exactly that point. And one of the insights of the of ISO here has been their recognition of the need for a standard that's allows that continued growth in digital assets in the same way as they created the standard for ISO 6166, which is the uh, the ISIN. And we see the same kind of necessity for building these kinds of core elements into the market infrastructure to provide the standardization to allow the continued growth. Well, there is a problem, isn't there, if you don't do this, as I, as I see it simplistically, is you can have the same asset being traded on two different markets under two different identifiers, which is not going to help transparency of marketplace. 
You're absolutely right. I mean, that's uh, it, it's such a it's such a simple thing. But as soon as you've got multiple different liquidity sources, you've got the challenge of knowing where you want to actually trade. So, which then requires you to aggregate that. And as soon as you want to aggregate it, you've got the challenge uh, problem that you mentioned. There's actually another issue here as well, which is perhaps more relevant to digital assets rather than the uh, traditional asset classes, which is this. It can also be the case that you inadvertently, as a user, inadvertently aggregate the wrong digital assets. So imagine if one trading venue has Bitcoin, the other one has Bitcoin cash, and your system aggregates those two. They are actually different digital tokens. And so there's the chance that you thought you traded Bitcoin, but you actually traded Bitcoin cash. And, and that's, that's obviously just as bad or perhaps even worse. And having those unique identifiers will just immediately resolve any of these kinds of things. All counterparties or any stakeholder involved in any kind of transaction will know exactly was that Bitcoin cash or was it Bitcoin? Okay, let me turn to James now, James Haskell, Business Operations Officer. What do you actually have to do under the bonnet to make all this work, James? Quite a lot is the short answer to that. So in timeline uh, terms, we're looking at deploying this sometime in Q3 this year. And so there's a lot of, a lot of work um, to do and a lot of ground to be covered in the meantime. And one of the main focuses that we've had really this year, and certainly now with the nomination to, to be the registration authority, is working with clients, market participants, quite a, a wide range of stakeholders to look at understanding their needs uh, in the crypto markets and understanding the differences and the nuances, some of which uh, you and Sasan have highlighted, between traditional cap markets environment and these crypto markets. And then the product and the service that we will be deploying is very much a service. And we want to make sure that technically and uh, procedurally that it runs for the benefit of the stakeholders that we're engaged with. So we're standing up a series of committees and governance structures to very much to get input from the markets and from market participants so that the service is built with them in mind. Some of the nuances that we're looking at you know, are some, somewhat seen as sort of intellectual curiosities of the crypto markets and as the, the behavior of the products has started to manifest themselves more clearly, more widely, these are not curiosities to the types of market participants that might want to come into the crypto markets in scale. So, you know, so in, institutional asset managers, investment managers, and, you know, clients that we've had for many years on the capital market side who would have reference data as their bread and butter are having to grapple with quite new challenges in the crypto space. So we've spent a lot of time helping and, and continue to do so, helping them to understand how reference data can be deployed in this space and particularly the digital token identifier, you know, the benefits that can bring. Is it, and I'm offering a very simplistic analogy here myself, but is it really that complicated in the sense that you have an asset, whether it's a hard asset, a digital asset, a company share, a bond or whatever, or a Bitcoin or an Ethereum, it's a thing. And you're providing a universal identifier for that thing that can be used across multiple markets. Is it really complex to do this? <laughs> well, it is a thing that... Different market participants, even on different sides of the same transaction, would call by a different name currently. It's a thing that can transform from one thing into a different thing quite legitimately during the life cycle of that thing. And so, yes, it, it, it technically, it's brought 
very different challenges from traditional you know, traditional things that we look at in the capital market space, where those types of transformations either don't occur or are extremely well understood. I think like, you know, convertible assets, you know, in the, in the traditional sense, those nuances or those quirks of behavior have brought challenges that we've had to address. And I think this is the, the standard has been written specifically to account for those. So, you know, ISO and the, and the, the committees that have worked on producing this standard have spent a long time looking at the technical fundamental details of how these assets behave, how they can transform, you know, the, the, the nuances of them, and have then built a standard around fundamental immutable characteristics that will not change and that will ident- allow that asset to be identified throughout its life cycle. And then all of a sudden, with that identifier, then it becomes, as you say, you know, then it's very straightforward. And it, all of the, the challenges that you would otherwise be facing around price discovery, liquidity management, regulatory reporting, transparency, safety of the markets, all, all the rest of it, all the stuff that you, you know, as an institutional investment manager or as an asset manager, large scale operators with large back office operations, you would expect to see and want to see in a market you'd be comfortable operating in. Or in a market, you know, it's profitable to operate in because you don't have huge overheads controlling, you know, these novel operational risks. They all become possible. The new solutions, from a standard perspective, around those novel characteristics, that wouldn't be possible. So, yeah, it's it's been it's simplified by having a set of standards that allow each of these assets to be taken as an immutable object. Bitcoin, I guess, is a classic example, right? Bitcoin Classic, Bitcoin Cash. Let's take that specific scenario where all of a sudden something you're referring to morphs into two separate things, which are different. Uh, I, now you've got Bitcoin Cash and Classic and Bitcoin Cash. So in that scenario, yes, in the traditional world, you'd have uh, various types of corporate events that could lead to these kinds of things as well. But here, that could just happen through this kind of dematerialized world. You're pointing to something that may no longer be there or no longer be relevant. And how do you deal with that? So we do see that some additional complications that have arisen purely because the digital token space is fully dematerialized. And if you think about the original capital markets, financial instruments, most of these at some point in the past were physical entities. And therefore, when they became more digitized, the digitization was a representation of that physical entity. It was easier to actually track. Here, for the first time, these uh, digital tokens never had, never had or will have physical equivalents. And tracking I'm not them... Going, I'm not going to walk around with a pocket full of Bitcoins. Exactly. And even your not, wallet not without a security will, not guard. Be, will not be in your pocket unless you count your iPhone. As your... <laughs> so but that's the challenge that we have. And it produces, I think, all the original problems, plus some new ones, purely because it's fully dematerialized. And that then has these additional um, challenges. And James is totally right. You know, we look at physical characteristics of the digital token as a means of allowing objective third-party validation that the identifier is absolutely correct. But that then can lead to additional complications such as Tether trade, uh, the physical implementation and manifestation of Tether, which is one for stable coins, is on multiple blockchains. So we actually, uh, and ISO, have thought sufficiently about this to realize, well, each physical implementation probably needs its own identifier. But we also probably need an identifier that sort of 
what we call functionally fungible level because somebody could trade Tether on one uh, blockchain, say buy it on one uh, blockchain and then sell it on another. So that then means this sort of traversal across blockchains and we have the mechanism to allow interoperability around there. So the detail behind this, which is what Joseph was saying, is far more complex than you will get in the traditional uh, asset classes. And it's all because it's fully dematerialized and that just brings additional complications on top of what you would have with, say, an ISA. Let's fast forward to later in the year, to fourth quarter of this year, maybe into 2022. All these digital identifiers have been sorted out. How do you think that's going to impact on the activity in the marketplace? From speaking with um, you know with clients we've been engaging with, with regulators and with you know with other sort of central bodies, I think the hope is as the you know, I'm not saying driven by this, but this is um, will will be hopefully a very helpful factor. Um, having it, this identifier, which you know by definition clearly identifies assets, brings a host then of sort of ancillary direct or indirect benefits with it for all concerned for making operations for individual traders in a sense up to huge you know international corporations their processes should become more cost effective more certain and easier to manage managing a whole host of different risks on a daily basis from a control standpoint their back office groups should be able to control operational risk more effectively their reporting should be more efficient. That leads through to you know regulators getting better transparency into what's happening. And I think the famous last word, but I think the sense we have from everybody is you know that a sort of a lighter touch regulation in these markets might be appropriate, and this would enable you know at least some of the fundamental pieces of reg- uh, uh, that regulators would be after to be achievable. Unclear which would drive which, or whether they would you know both sort of happen in a sense concurrently, but with a a slightly more solid regulatory framework might drive larger scale participation from larger scale investors. Certainly the interest from those investors we think would drive a a closer regulatory look. So we are expecting it. And again, everyone's really focused on without stifling the innovation that's made these markets such special places that they are but that a little bit wider, more consistent, and probably more joined up regulation might enable fuller participation and then you know, a, a sort of a safer, more transparent marketplace. And the final word, Sasan, would you agree with everything James said? Would you want to add anything to it? Here, actually, what's interesting to both James and I is that the lack of regulation it may well be holding back some of the traditional incumbent institutions in participating in the digital asset space. So everybody can see that this is a really credible asset class now. You know, five, 10 years ago, no. But now I think it seems to be accepted that this asset class will stay. And it's the lack of regulation that is actually holding back some of the larger players in participating fully. So some regulation is it, it will allow that comfort and confidence for existing regulated institutions to participate in a much bigger way than they are now. Then the question becomes, but how do we make sure that the regulations are appropriate? And actually on that, uh, both James and I have thought quite a lot about how we can play our part in that discussion. And the governance model that we have for the service hopefully will play one part, which is this. Regulators will need to be able to identify these uh, digital tokens for the same reason that market participants need to do it. So is there an opportunity for 
regulators and market participants to coalesce around how that identification scheme should work and by extension, how should reporting work. And we're setting up right now, so this could be a sort of call for action for your members. We're looking to set up a series of advisory committees to bring industry into the discussion for us with ISO and with regulators to discuss the practical implementation of this identification system so that it works both for regulators and for industry users. And we're putting out a call for participation on the 1st of April to ask any interested industry participant to come and speak to us. We're looking to populate the advisory committee with appropriate members. Thank you very much, Sasan Dinesh, Managing Partner, James Haskell, Business Operations Officer of eTrading Software.